Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Fatal from Fatal Affair. You can now catch this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or Google. Thanks for tuning into the show. are finally here for the final episode of the season for the Disney Plus Marvel series Loki. It's been a multiverse of fun up until this point. Sophia DiMartino absolutely killed it all six episodes. If, well, you're listening to this, okay? So let me just say this for people who don't already know. It's a spoiler. This whole thing is a spoiler. Get out of here if you don't want it to be fucking spoiled. (laughs) And that being said... Thank you for being here. So we're going to get right into the show, but like a Hyundai commercial, Loki drives it home. Going into this episode, I really had no idea who could be behind all this. We were hoping it was Kang, but a lot of the signs pointed for Mephisto to show up at the end of WandaVision, and it turned out to be the villain we saw all along. We didn't really think that somebody was going to just show up out of nowhere, introduced in the finale of a show, because we want to be able to spend time with these people. And we found out that we're going to do just that when they revealed that this is a variant of Kang at the end of this, and throughout all of this. The spindling of the universe itself is going to show that we're going to spend time with Kang and almost every MCU property moving forward for phase four and five, maybe. If we can complete all of this within one phase, I would be very impressed. I really had no idea who could be behind all of this. I once thought it was Kang's brother. I thought Ravona was the big bad just to keep the formula of the Disney Plus villain reveals. It being somebody we meet early on in the show, nothing could prepare me for this finale. Out of all the Disney Marvel finales thus far, this one feeling like the juggernaut from X-Men in terms of momentum, sheer excitement, excitement, and deliverance. Without further ado, let's see into Elias' memories in the season finale of Loki. Previously on Loki, a hype-ass recap of the first five episodes shows at the beginning of episode six. The Richard E. Grant finale scene from the last episode reminds me how much budget we may have left for this show, and it kind of shows, because we're back in one of those conversation set pieces between these just three characters, if we don't count Miss Minutes' as looming presence over everything, manipulating all of these characters to go forth so that when we see her again, it'll be just as the villain planned it. A herald of Kang, if you will. A soft fade on the Marvel Studios logo accompanied by most of the Avengers, even Captain America saying, yeah, I know, was slipped into all of that dialogue that was just a beautiful homage to all of the characters thus far, maybe showing how it'll never be like this again. And going even closer to reality with all the quotes from Neil Armstrong, even some Greta Thunberg, A slight nod to her Loki mannerisms, I'm very sure. Her being an activist and constantly causing this, uh, chaos. Loki and Sylvie traveling through not just universes, but through the fabric of time and space as they approach their target realm with a back shot of our protagonists. Tom wielding the golden daggers that Kid Loki gave him. We have a cut to our title credits, and this one feels very powerful. They're aware that this is a finale, and you could say that it was treated as such, even though there was, like, a lot less conflict as maybe Marvel superhero fans would want to see, especially something like Thor's brother, but that's just it. It's Thor's brother. Loki is a conversationalist. Already so many questions and curiosities like a palate cleanser for the mind in the beginning with some of humanity's most defiant and world-changing historical figures, 
siphoned out of a sea of Marvel hero voices, the beginning boiled up an ominous and mysterious hype that felt self-acknowledging. Open to Loki and Sylvie on an asteroid island floating amongst time itself as they climb to... Kang's... <laughs> not Kang's... Castle. The color palette for this episode was quite Hoovian in nature, very flourished and not afraid to use any color to highlight visual interest. Anything among space to me is just cryptic and whimsical altogether. Loki lets Sylvie do what she wants. As he knows her constant lifelong evasion of detainment, a prisoner on the run, and as a variant of himself, he knows the call for freedom against people he himself compared to the Asgardians he felt compelled to rebel against, Sylvie saying she was pruned before Loki even existed. Of course this can't mean literally unless time worked way differently, but more metaphorically. Like a walking dead man never having a life, she's hesitant, but Loki allows her anything. Simpin' hard, my man Tommy. And I would too. But he views her as an equal. This is my favorite Loki, a Loki with compassion towards somebody. However brief these moments are, he has a respect and understanding. So it allows for this beyond intellectual conversation for a moment. Holy fucking Miss Minutes. She comes out of nowhere. <laughs> a jump scare by Tara Strong. Now a more sinister Miss Minutes welcoming us to the end of time. And she's doing this in anticipation of somebody. Maybe not somebody she actually works for, but she works for a variant of. So she understands what all is happening right now and the decision that's going to be unfolded to the protagonists. Who comes out of the elevator? Kang? No. He who remains. First appeared in Thor number 245 in March 1976. He was the director of the TVA and a manipulator of its inhabitants through the creation of androids, and in the MCU's case, possibly Miss Minutes, unless she deviated from her original purpose. Nathaniel Richards is now he who remains. Taking away this lesser-known character in the Marvel Universe, and instead of forcing two new characters down our throats, they ease in the premise of variance with Nathaniel Richards. Nathaniel is also a variation of Merlin to a version of the Black Knight, so in the Eternals, when we get uh, Kit Harington's Black Knight, we could possibly see a young mutant named Nathaniel Richards, who, in this case, Nathaniel is actually the son of Reed Richards and proficient time traveler. Eventually, Nathaniel would go on to recruit a young Reed Richards and a young Victor Von Doom for the fate of the world. And as we know, both of these characters are going to be in the new reboot for the MCU Fantastic Four. It all seems like they have the pieces there, but us doing half of the work isn't really going to help if they decide to do something crazy, like replace a character entirely with Kang and a variation of Kang and beautifully done altogether. It was pointed out that Miss Minutes tells Ravona to go to Kang versus he who remains, or she says go to him, but as we know in this case, who him is. So it's possible Miss Minutes works for Kang as suspected. Now the version that we get of Nathaniel here is also, as fans say, half Immortus. And Immortus showed up in Avengers number 10, where Kang showed up in Avengers number 8. Kang showed up in September 1964, Immortus showed up in November 1964. So Immortus being the been there, done that, Nathaniel, worn by the longevity of time, who is also a variant of Kang, the good Kang, just the out of his mind, morally okay, morally sound Kang. And as we know at the end of this, Sylvie's decision to murder, who would be half Immortus, half Nathaniel Richards, half he who remains, 150% Kang. <laughs> 
is a terrible idea because the only person that can replace that version of Nathaniel is going to be somebody who's nothing like him, somebody who's not going to ask them a choice, somebody who won't even entertain the idea of this or that in the benefit of somebody else. It's going to be Kang conquering all the time and what he says goes. In one of the times Kang first shows up, he's doing it to gain the interest of Ravona by fighting the Avengers. The Avengers didn't have a say, oh sure, we'll help you out with a staged fight. It was Kang going, watch how much mightier I am than Earth's mightiest heroes. And it feels a lot like he's going to show up to make a point. Because Nathaniel has a war going on in the future, but we'll get to that. He who remains is quite impressed and apparently offering a cavalcade, a myriad, if you will, of buyouts. This is clearly a defense tactic, a deterrence. Offering them both what they wanted most since their entrances in the MCU. Granted, Sylvie being a bit shorter, but the same size of value offering. Upon hearing Loki could basically win every event he's ever challenged, Tom Hiddleston acted up a hurricane. And I literally welled up at this, this performance, this struggle, this not even duality, a quadrality going on within this character. You gotta think of what this would mean for Loki to be torn between desires and duty, one world for another, in this case like five worlds for one. The ultimate question of this character development, possibly claiming the title of anti-hero, depending on what he does here. And on one hand of Loki deciding which life he wants, Sylvie gets offered any life at all. A lifetime of memories and happiness that she never even experienced, or she could possibly experience if he sends her back in some sort of protected time pocket, anything she wants. And her freedom to continue that timeline alteration, with Loki on the same timeline as her. And now our big bad being confirmed as a he who we possibly possibly hadn't seen yet. Ravona misses Mobius the way I miss Mobius every day, when I'm at work, when I'm walking the dog. Miss Minutes is even hiding information from Ravona, revealing our big bad tier list at last. With Miss Minutes as number two baddie in front of Ravona, because Ravona's actually scared of Miss Minutes or scared of the information that she has and who she serves. And Ravona gets slot number three. Marvel playing with our feelings knowingly, switching the files Ravona requested with ones he thinks will be more useful, quote-unquote. When asked who, the question is humorously dismissed. Masters at the long con always considering our innate and guaranteed investment into these Marvel properties. In an eerie room decorated with the statues of the fake timekeepers, I don't think the question is if the dude is still alive because of some dust. That doesn't mean anything. But when he wipes it, he's he asks if somebody still lives here, if the man is even still alive. Maybe spring doesn't come for another 1,200 years there. If this isn't the quantum realm... That dust would have to be otherworldly tiny too, if the quantum realm is so small, as we saw in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He who remains appears, a man, just flesh and blood, and a super intriguing character off the bat, very difficult, if at all possible, to kill. Our characters readily on their guard as we, the viewer, feel. Instant likability is an easy way to catch us off guard with a truly villainous person, lowering our defenses so they can show us why we need a hero. Ironically, in the case of Loki, we still have to remember that good and evil is truly askew. Because Loki himself embodying chaos, we can't foresee the consequences yet. Ravon seemingly making leave, blocked by the M-Meister, Mr. Wow Kachow, Moby Dick Mobius. 
you're not gonna be happy to see me. Two former flames separated by betrayal written in blood. Ravona still pretending to have everyone's best interest at heart, like a delusional fascist. Like Spider-Man was told in Civil War, when someone who's wrong thinks they're right, it makes them dangerous. Cut to Ohio 2018, where Hunter B-15 is evading the TVA right into the principal's office of one Judge Renslayer. But not Ravona, her variant. Allowing a bomb drop of an exposition to reveal itself in 15 seconds. That's some talented storytelling. Now everybody's on the same page at the TVA, understanding what they are. The entire exchange between Loki and he who remains is stellar. With the flea metaphor all the way up to the written script of their conversation, nothing makes you feel more insignificant, more tiny than being sized up. When you can see the whole picture, it's easy to shrink it if you mean to demean it. Even seeing Loki and Sylvie in their romantic vulnerability, striking them in a weakness, adding an air of intimidation, just like how Loki does. But Loki's scared right now. I paved the road, you just walked down it. Explaining that all this needed to happen, being changed by the journey to get to the end, by painting this picture, Mr. Remains can poke holes in it, reforming doubt instead, as if all that journey can be reversed. Like, people can't change. As is the nature of this show, it's what we're betting on. Ravona claiming if the TVA didn't prune timelines, only death and chaos, only one person is allowed free will, the one in charge. Okay, she's going down, but this comes back up in a second. I can't slice these acting chops up with a chainsaw. They are so strong, the scenes Marvel excels at that makes us all feel in unison. It's nothing without our killer actors. And in this case, Gugu Mbatha Raw. She outshined Owen Wilson, I'm surprised to say, especially how much time we spent with Mobius trying to feel in empathy towards him. This was a staple in talent for her in my book, in any IMDB entry in the future. I'll remember this one. You betrayed me. We can build something better. These are the oppositions these characters stand on, and for both, the line of attack has been crossed now. Mobius failed, and Ravona's comic combat prowess finally shows itself. Unlike with Enchantress a couple episodes ago where she got beaten, Ravona is going in search of free will, presumably the one in charge. This would be how she becomes romantically involved with Kang, or possibly a prisoner of Kang in the same idea. Back at the end of time, what are you so afraid of? Me. And just who are you? This scene had fans on the edge of their seats waiting for the long-awaited reveal. A ruler? A conqueror? But it's not a simple as a name, really drawing out the anticipation. A scientist from the 31st century, a variant of He Who Remains, discovered the existence of the multiverse. For a while, improving each variant universe through the congregation and cooperation of multiple versions of himself, and some versions seeing conquerable lands. Hence, all-out variant war. Eliath being made of tears in reality, weaponized by He Who Remains, the TVA enforces there's no variance to prevent versions of He Who Remains from starting multiversal war. A delusionary method of safety that makes sense in a slight capacity. Marvel making a side with the villain as always. There were some people who said, yeah, Thanos has a point there. Except unlike the random selection of deletion, there are people directly affected and imprisoned by this prevention. Presenting an evil all all of its own, an evil so specific to people in different realms. Like Captain Marvel said in Endgame, there are many worlds out there, 
and not all of them have the Avengers. If he dies, as we know, his variant, Kang, will try and conquer all the rampant timelines, all the branches. A possible liar with an offer, a choice, between causing a multiverse of madness from the death of Mr. Remains, or Loki running the TVA. Both choices fully believable as an outcome which hastens and builds the feeling as the show comes to a close shortly, which also corners the protagonists in the feeling of only having two choices, which is something evil people do. They don't let you see the outside possibilities because that'll involve a greater loss. Gotta tie this thing up in 15 minutes and there, there's a lot to unpack here. Like the Willy Wonka of the multiverse, he who remains is looking for a successor in both Lokis. Pushing the sail on them with no success, met with resentment and confliction, Sylvie personally scorn, being called murderer and hypocrite, even though he made her that way, and her having to experience it the whole time, is a blink in the eyes of Mr. He Who Remains, but for her it was her whole life up until now, revealing he no longer knows what's going to happen. The opportunity to kill or bargain is fully realized in a tense air of uncertainty. This is class A drama writing. Reincarnation, baby. This devil-may-care attitude is definitely what somebody who had no regard for the rules of the universe would have with that level of power. I believe Loki's original personality would embody that mold. The humorous, silver-tongued god a ruler of infinite universes, the look on Loki's face doesn't agree with that fantasy anymore. Sylvie here just adds a wild card to that final decision. Like that, Sylvie thrusts for the kill and stopped by our Loki because Loki as a liar believes he's telling the truth. This puts a rift between our Lokis like a classic toxic relationship, also in a dual meaning. I think this is Loki at odds with himself, with his own character, saying Sylvie doesn't know how to trust and Loki can't be trusted. As someone who's been in a relationship that have been about pushing aside one's ego, it hurts when you're trying to be the bigger person and someone throws your past at you. When you really want to move past it, it can be a sore spot. But this can also lead up to a fight much later in a different movie that's not even titled Loki. We can get a side fight or continuing side fights going forward with Loki and Sylvie at each other's throats. This fight scene was freaking badass. It did make me think, if this was the last fight, then Sylvie was the greatest struggle of the show, and with all of the internal and metaphysical conflict, it seemed like the greatest battle is the one within ourselves. Loki's unarmed example got through to something in Sylvie, like a fight with your significant other that goes on for so long. It can feel mutual to say, let's just take a time out for a second. You walk to the other side of the house for a second and come back and I'll do the same, okay? Not ending it all together, not breaking up, but staying when things get hard means more, especially with that level of emotional baggage. I don't want to hurt you, I just want you to be okay. And the internet exploded. A very passionate kiss, and especially for Disney, a little hot. I'm not gonna lie, I was rooting for it after it happened, and at this point, I didn't even think it was gonna happen. But Loki kissed himself. He did it. Self-love fully realized, and it felt so right, but I never thought that I wanted it until it happened. <laughs> but I'm not you. Sylvie pushing Loki back into the TVA and killing he who remains, plunging the timeline into a multiverse of madness, a variant of Loki being responsible for the evil reincarnation of Kang the Conqueror in the next 10 years of Marvel. We got it in a Disney Plus show, and as many people that are at home, I could maybe feel like WandaVision was a complete product, meant to come out side by side with the things happening in the Marvel movies as they were coming out. But because we had to reevaluate release dates so often because of the pandemic, I can only feel like this was a not improvised scene, but predetermined. Uh, changed, but they knew what they wanted. They didn't just want to change something and 
have it not make sense. They can make this change and still go forward as if everything else was a surprise. And if this was meant to happen originally, then Marvel has us more under their thumb than I could have ever seen. A haunting visual of an irreversible deed. The TVA's monitors show extremely far-branching universes for all time, always. This is something people would say as they were dying, as they were going out in a sea of holy fire. That's some Highlander stuff. When you thought you were gonna die, you shout FREEDOM for all time, always. Loki heartbroken gets sudden realization and takes action. Mans has only a few minutes. Wrap this episode up wonderfully and with a big pretty bow, Tommy. Come on, man. Loki making his way toward the library found Mobius and Hunter B-15. He knows everything. But wait, who are you? A sudden and shocking realization that Loki has been erased from knowledge and exists in an alternate timeline now ruled by a variant of He Who Remains, revealed to be none other than Kang the Conqueror. Jonathan Majors teased in a Disney Plus series before his proper introduction in Ant-Man Quantumania. The post-credits stinger being that Loki will return for a season two as the first Disney Plus series to announce a second season thus far. That's a wrap on Loki season one, episode six. It's been a crazy and super fulfilling ride all the way to the final second to have our minds blown by the Kang reveal. Now, if only WandaVision Episode 8 would have had Mephisto, then they would have stuck the entire Disney Plus introductory landing. And moving forward, we're going to get She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, and all of these other characters who can now possibly be alternate versions of the MCU proper heroes. Considering Loki was, he disappeared back in Avengers 2012, and where we're at in the MCU now with WandaVision would be in 2023, who's to say the events of this didn't pop up during the MCU, gave off a small red flag, and until now was kept as a very internal punishment, a very internal consequence. I mean, Wanda wouldn't know, but now that she was playing with the Darkhold and looking into different realities, realms, or whatever she was looking for, possibly Wiccan in speed, maybe Doctor Strange. But she heard Wiccan's cry for help, and only in an alternate reality would he be screaming for help, considering he didn't exist in Wanda's current reality. And the Quicksilver that we saw could have been multiverses seeping into Wanda's Nexus extremity. With her constantly opening wormholes in the Nexus, we could think that everything that happens in WandaVision is a product of the multiverse. Anything can be part of the multiverse now. We are already going to know that Spider-Man is going to have some sort of crazy branching with all the other Spider-Men. And by the end of that movie, instead of him being in New York and everybody being properly where they should be, Spider-Man could just pass with a C-. He could get everybody into a proper place, but not necessarily deleting them from our timeline, leading Doctor Strange, who's in Spider-Man, to come in and save things a little deeper. Maybe an alternate reality Doctor Strange, or maybe Loki's gonna come in while Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are in the same spot, both people that Loki's actually fond of in the comics. Doctor Strange more for his intellectual, uh, I wouldn't say superiority, but intellectual prowess, and Spider-Man for some sort of deed that apparently Loki owes him one. Something that they're not on equal ground, which allows Loki to look up at him as somebody who's not always calling on that favor, somebody he admires, somebody like Mobius. But that's all for us, and we'll be speculating about this for years to come. So thank you for joining me on the Fatal Foils episode 6 for Loki, and I'm sorry this one took uh, a long time to finally get out. But it's out. We can talk about it. You know twitch.tv slash fatalaffair. 
You know at Fatal Affair Cast on Twitter, and you know Fatal Affair on Spotify. Catch us for this and everything else fandom. Have a great day. Hey you guys, it's me, Fatal, from Fatal Affair. We have a bonus interview with twitch.tv slash Slayer of the World. That's Slayer of the World. I can't wait to pick his brain about Loki Episode 6, and we thought you might enjoy it too, so here's a bonus interview for Loki. So what did you think of Loki Episode 6? Okay, I felt like it was a bit slow-paced, okay? Okay. It felt slow-paced. The main story feels slow with Loki and Sylvie and the out-of-time world. I don't know the name of it. We'll we'll call it Alliance Memories, or it's someplace within the the end of time. The end of time. The end of time. Okay, the end of time with Sylvie and Loki, that feels a bit slow with the uh time master guy but like the story was very like encapturing and i really enjoyed it the time master guy is nathaniel richards it's either an embodiment of he who remains or king the conqueror either way it's a variant of nathaniel richards well what did you think of um sylvie and loki's ability to wrap up their story as short of a time as we spent with these two characters what did you think of the payoff what did you think of their final union in the action they were sent to do in the goal that they both predetermined for themselves and about what the i would say the episode four right when they're running through the train and everything and they get an understanding for one another talking about their mothers and the passing of their mothers do you think that this did justice for both characters at the end of their storylines okay well as we know it's not the end of their storylines for this for now for For this proper title this for this proper title okay um for how it did it justice, I felt like there's a little bit more that could be explained for a few things that just, ugh. but not necessarily like for their stories, I feel like we're at a good place. I just on that scene on that train planet when they are having like their nexus moment, I feel like that could have been explained a little bit more how it was causing the nexus, like their storylines, their origins. I enjoyed that. I feel like. I kind of know them more as a character now. I agree. I agree 100% that their nexuses could have had more to do with the finale, you know? But I was talking Mm -hmm. about how the involvement of Jonathan Majors filming at the end of that series, I don't think was planned. I think it was what they wanted to get eventually to, but coinciding with the movie's releases. And since this was all pandemic stay inside Disney+, Plus. I feel like they had to deliver in a way that WandaVision did not. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Jonathan Major's portrayal? What do you think of his... Do you think that he kept so much electricity in the room that it was worth a 30-minute conversation for a finale? Okay. I liked his character, okay? He was a very good character for the uh, Time Master guy, right? This is who we're talking about. Yes. He Who Remains. Jonathan Major. He Who Remains. Okay. He who remains. I feel like he did a very good portrayal of it. I haven't read the comics, okay? I've only like do like the media, recent media, TV shows, movies kind of thing, okay? So I don't know comics how he is in the comics, the characters in the comics, okay? But for watching it, I feel like he did a good job as said character. I feel like he was very like almost what you would expect a person living alone to do is being acting like having these crazy like <laughs> Like, he's controlling everyone, but he's alone kind of thing, you know? That's brilliant. It's like when you're a kid and you're playing with your toys with your little action figures, he's controlling everything pretty much. And that's kind of like how I see him as, as like a little kid playing with his little action figures. And it's kind of almost like in a huge cycle kind of thing. And if some other kid comes up and picks up another toy out of his like toy lineup, that is like the Nexus moments happening. 
you know, oh, that was not supposed to happen. I like so, that. Yeah. But I mean, he's the one who oversees time. And now, yeah. now that he's dead, Kang, his variant, is going to come in and oversee everything that he had laying around. Would this set off an alarm to Kang? Would Kang want to change it? Or do you think Doctor Strange is going to have to come in and defeat him in a way that he defeated Dormammu? This um, unstoppable force. I feel like Doctor Strange is definitely going to have a part in this, okay? Because it's definitely dealing with a like time reality loop stuff. So all, all the this stuff, you know, that does with like, the uh, time stones, okay? Oh, that's a really good point. That Doctor Strange is the wielder of the Eye of Agamotto, but when Loki is talking about the greatest power in the universe, he grabs the Infinity Stones like desk trinkets. He finds yeah. out that they're useless at that magnitude of power, but do you think that that's just within the TVA's quantum realm? Do you think that if they get Kang on Earth, the Infinity Stones can affect him. him? Sure. I feel like it was almost a... Is the, uh, the one who remains almost had like a magical power to him which i feel like he was nullifying the uh powers of the stones in that realm i feel like with like the realm the time reality is being disparaged i think they're gonna have their powers and controls back you know like ah. he's he's gone the one stopping like nullifying it is gone so now they're allowed to be back at full power kind of thing this is all theory on my head just saying that this is all theory i don't know anything about this but well let me bring up some facts that could aid that real quick nathaniel richards is not he who remains he who remains is the director of the tva from thor number 245 back in march 1976 but kang the conqueror and who we know as nathaniel richards is from september 1964 so if we merge these two characters, He Who Remains and Kang, we get the MCU He Who Remains, who is a variant of Kang that we saw in Loki. Let me, let me, let me rephrase Clarify. this entire, yeah. Nathaniel Richards okay. is the time-traveling son of Mr. Fantastic. Okay. If Nathaniel Richards is He Who Remains, and you're saying getting rid of him would bring back the use of the Infinity Stones, would a variant of Nathaniel Richards not also nullify the stones? So I feel like... Obviously, variants are different in each of their ways. None of the, all, it seems like all the Loki variants had different powers, but it seemed like in the end there, you could figure out that they can all do the same stuff. It's just, what did they learn? I like that right? observation. That's good. Okay. I feel like it's almost the same way with these guys that he, the one that we saw, the, the he remains, uh, the one that we saw is just the one that figured out either power first or was like most powerful with learning wow power. look at so you he the rest could either learn it and control it and will back in this loop kind of thing or maybe they're all like that that would probably be my best guess is i feel like how they did it it's fine okay i feel like they did really well with splitting up different characters okay it's showing that there are different variants and i feel like if the nullifying thing that I'm saying is true, I feel like it's just a matter of who has the more power here or who has what power kind of thing. I really like that because as we saw, he who remains has his own version of the temp pad and Sylvie had to teach Loki how to do Enchantress's hypnoti uh, hypnotism. So if Kang in the mm -hmm. comics always having this ability to quick time travel to avoid punches similar to how he who remains did that do both of them share that ability with key differences in how they operate if the hooded person at the end of episode one of loki 
turns out to be Kang, and that was his sword in the ground, then is he a skilled one-handed swordsman capable of putting up against that fight that he who remains wouldn't put up against Sylvie. So the next time we see Sylvie wanting to kill a variant of Nathaniel Richards, she could find herself massively outmatched in one-handed ability. She could find herself outmatched in terms of what he even does. He can have one of the Infinity Stones and still use its ability and still dwarf its power with what sorcerism he has himself practiced. And that's why it's going to take Loki, Doctor Strange, and Wanda, amongst a myriad of other sorcerers, possibly Mordo changing, uh, deflecting from the villainous side to fight a grander, uh, uh, evil trouble at stake here. And Agatha from WandaVision, in the comics, being the mentor of Wanda, with not always the clearest head, but what's crazy is, Agatha is Franklin Richards' babysitter, in a sense. The Fantastic Four love Agatha Harkness, and she constantly participates in Fantastic Four uh, comic arcs. So if Nathaniel Richards really is a descendant of the great Reed Richards, and we get the Fantastic Four rebooted in the MCU, are we going to get a correlation to Nathaniel at the end of time to Reed in 2023? And Reed in our current MCU, where we're going to have to have heroes fighting the future that they created necessarily and that's going to cause some like really big rifts i would think not only amongst the fantastic four but reed richard's participation in the evolving mcu the avengers that are going to form or even some veterans that hang around i don't think dr strange is going to answer kindly to reed richards so something with the mcu that they do versus the comics is they like giving hints and giving these like almost what is it like easter eggs towards a character like you saw in wandavision with agatha how it wasn't exactly uh like one-to-one ratio with her character in the comics so i feel like it's definitely gonna be a almost same way with most future characters here it's not gonna be exactly hey this person was so-and-so's babysitter kind of thing it's gonna be variants i guess of said character i like that and who's to say that we can't get an old comic book uh rendition mm. of agatha also part of the fantastic four or something but you're right i like that we can fuse modern storylines with past storylines and get the best of all of this writing in hopefully stick the landing in a character in the mcu proper what did you think of sylvie and loki's romantic conclusion do you think that was earned? Did you need to see Loki kiss himself? Or do you even consider Sylvie a part of Loki? So we know that Sylvie is technically a very variant of Loki. Did I need to see them kiss each other? Did I think did I think of it as Loki kissing Loki? No, because they are like a gender, like different genders kind of thing. But did I think, did I feel like it was necessary? No. But was the kiss between Sylvie and Loki necessary? I don't think so. I feel like it was almost, I feel like the relationship was one because they wanted a relationship in the story, which I don't feel like is always necessary in a story, but fans like to see it. I had a relationship. Mobius and Loki were inseparable. I didn't need them to get romantic, but golly, I just, them on screen is so magnetizing. I did not need Sylvie and Loki by the end of this. I wanted okay. Mobius to be more okay than I wanted I really, Sylvie to be okay. <laughs> okay. I really like Mobius, though. Um, did I see the kiss, though, as a Loki kissing Loki? No, I did not. I know they are variants, but did I see it as that? No. Dude, I on like another level, do I know that it is Loki kissing Loki? Yes, and I didn't really <laughs> feel like it was right. <laughs> I think that's the general consensus of the audience. Yeah. 
Well, it's similar to how you're saying. When we're merging all of these ideas in the best of the writing, when we look at the character of female Loki, Lady Loki, we see closer what they're trying to give us. Yes, it's a variant of Loki, but in the sense that in the comics, Sylvie Lushton is the inheritance of Loki, is the indirect embodiment of the god of mischief. So by making her her own character in the form of a variant, we can now pull from any single one of the Enchantress storylines to either have this make sense or contradict it, and it'll be brilliant however they do it. You can't lose when you create what what framework that they've done here. I agree with that, okay? And that will can go like the same way with any storyline now. Now they, they have all these variations of characters at their expense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I really, I'm against some of the bringing in of some characters that didn't work, but Disney having now ownership over all of the properties who have uh, formed the Marvel television circuit you know you got x-men fantastic four anything owned by sony amazing spider-man toby mcguire spider-man maybe even blade and ben affleck's daredevil going further now we have animation now we have netflix series and you can potentially play with anybody and when they show up on the big screen we're gonna lose our fucking minds whether we were fans of that or not just because of their innovative use of property because i don't i don't have necessarily a craving to see nick cage come back as ghost rider but (laughs) would i lose my mind if he showed up when robbie reyes was just deigned the new ghost rider i would because we know that there's a history that they tried to give us and I don't think necessarily the blessing or wh- whatever he was writing for in the first movie, right? He was writing for the fir- first Ghost Rider's contract to fight against Blackheart. But to mm. say that a Blackheart can exist means that a new one can exist. To say Ghost Rider exists to can bring in new Ghost Rider. And I'm hoping that however they do the Fantastic Four, we get some sort of uh, reference to Chris Evans's previous participation as the Human Torch. Maybe to say that one time in a different universe, a human torch became potentially the super scroll from the aid of Galactus's Herald Silver Surfer. Especially when we get Galactus's reveal, are we going to use that Silver Surfer? Because that one had nothing wrong with him. He looked like comic book Silver Surfer. Mm. I wouldn't say that necessarily he was so grim and forward on the idea for Galactus. He wasn't so Galactus owns your world. It's more like, I'm sorry. I don't want this to happen. My wife was taken from me from Galactus. Honestly, now you've got me excited to think that if they play with the uh, Fox television, the Fox Studios Fantastic Four, that if we get this Silver Surfer, he'll have something more to say on our Galactus. Yeah. Were you okay with parting ways from the variant Lokis come time for this finale? I was okay with parting ways, but I did not like the way they took their direction of parting ways, okay? I did not like uh, Sylvie's uh, decision uh, after parting, but I feel like it was a necessary evil to have, like... What was Sylvie's... What was Sylvie's choice? You mean, uh, killing the guy? Oh, so you think that even after meeting the variant Loki, she should have held her blade? Yeah, she- I- I am a person of, like, peace and calm. Uh, I feel like there was another way to go around this, even without killing, because you saw how he said, like, everything was going haywire now. I feel like there was another way around it without killing him, but- I definitely feel like killing him was a open gateway to this. But back to the uh, their separation, I didn't like it, but I knew it was also necessary because Loki would have definitely done his best to stop her if, had he stayed. Like, he 
is supposed to be like an anti-hero. He's supposed to be villain anti-hero where he's making these bad decisions for like his own good purpose of what like the world should be perfect kind of thing, you know? But I feel like obviously most of these Lokis are going through their own timelines of what happened, how he is in Endgame and Infinity War, where he's like along the side Avengers, kind of like Thor. I get what right? you mean. They were trying to get us to sympathize with our Loki very mm. quickly in this show to get back to the journey that our Loki and Endgame had eventually gotten to. And they did it yeah. very, very quickly, very tightly, which mm. at some points worked and did not at all. We, I feel like he would have been alongside Sylvie if he was like the original beginning Loki when we see him on Avengers trying to take the Tesseract. If he had stayed that Loki... I feel like he would have been with Sylvie in the sense of killing the guy. Sure. Backstabbing's his thing. But as he's gone through this journey of making friends with Mobius and with, with the TVA, he's changed to see how the world's ticking and that his quote unquote actions have no meaning to him. If he was trying to disassociate from the consequence of the grander multiverse and then this was a very blatant black and white look at morality, you're right. I think that our Loki, who was trying to enslave the Earth just a couple weeks in his mind, because he mm. even said, I don't know how time is working. It could be yesterday, it could be tomorrow, it could be months, it could be years. I don't know when I last tried to take over New York. Our Loki, nonetheless, remembers his current existence, his physical existence, was trying to enslave the planet. So, yes. if we didn't have the look at Endgame Loki, and we only had the Loki that was trying to take over the Earth, I think you're right. I think he would have been all for causing chaos in when he saw Jonathan Majors, but... Even the short time we spent trying to sample that morality, sample that mm. character development from Endgame, I think it's just as powerful to keep him a villain. Because when he goes up against somebody who's not necessarily acting evil, because there was no demonstration he could do to give us a human feel of evil. He couldn't kill anybody. He couldn't choke out Sylvie, but then we got Loki. It would just be a weird conflict, you know, if everybody was yeah. trying to fight in that one room given the 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 title and reputation all of them in that room have so yeah. from somebody who's never said hello to the god of mischief and let alone the god of mischief squared he came in like a force a presence when tom hiddleston was surprised by him when he said sylvie hold on i got chills because we know loki's capacity for villainy we know in ragnarok he was going to betray thor right up until the moment they were going to steal the ship we thought even in Endgame, wow, this is crazy as a demonstration that Loki sacrifices himself for love, for his brother, for family. And now we have a Loki who weeks before trying to enslave the planet is telling somebody to not murder somebody. That gives mm. me such a grand concept of intimidation. And he no, even said, well, I know a liar. He said that that man is not lying because I know lying. Yeah, the Loki is such like a because how Loki is, he's such like a malleable. He's such a flexible character with how you can push him around. He has a like not a vendetta, but like an agenda. He has an agenda with what he wants done, but you can easily push him out of the way and shift like his agenda, shift how he is. Yes, I like Just that. Loki, yeah, Loki like his morphing is easily able to short uh, shift his end goal, shift his plans just he, with a simple push he does see the outcome that's in best in it for him right and that's something that mobius mm -hmm. even says he says it's not too late to change but you really are a loki you know he tells that to all the lokis yeah. you're really you are you and at that core mobius believes that is somebody who will backstab and die alone 
that they are mm-hmm. meant to lose, that they are going to go for the long con that in the end leads to failure, but they will try their 100% hardest to be evil along the way, to reflect the goal in their actions at every moment along the way. Like killing Coulson in Avengers 1. He didn't need to kill Coulson, and that eventually does unite the Avengers, but he could have killed the entire planet with the Avengers at all different points, and I feel like they still would have come together because it was that call to an evil. It was that need to reciprocate those forces. So what did you think of Miss Minutes? I can't, I can't tell, I, can't, I don't know, okay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you my thoughts on Miss Minutes, okay? Because she seems... Almost like she's an intelligent, a more intelligent AI than the cur- like the per. I don't know. Did he, did the one who remains make her or like where? What is her existence? What is? See, how did she come to be? Let me tell you what the internet's theory is. They think that Miss Minutes is created by the variant Kang, not he who yeah, remains, but a because variant. they never had interaction in the episode. He says, she says, you're about to meet he who remains. But she never at any point says, he who remains, this is Loki. Or Loki, this is he who remains. She instantly leaves before his introduction. And she goes to Ravona to say that he thinks that this is a better plan. And she's speaking, obviously, about a Kang. But we don't know if she was speaking about the Kang that we saw in episode 6. I don't know if how I feel about that being a construction of a variant. But I, feel, I almost feel like she was more, like she almost has a higher intellectualness of the, the Kangs. Okay. Oh, I like how. Go ahead. I need was, this theory. She was like, yes, he's controlling the timelines, but she was easily able to dive in be- and out in between them. I'm sure he might be able to as well. But just her being, her like knowledge, her like planning of giving information out. Because how she gave out to the director, like this isn't the information I asked for. It's like what you got get kind of thing though. She almost has her own means behind what she gives out. And I, I don't know if that, that aligns with the Kings. I love that because she's constantly seeing people on their in their own vendetta. She's constantly mm-hmm. seeing people act on their own. And she has knowledge of not just this timeline, but every timeline and what will ever be. As Ravona always tells mm-hmm. Mo- Mobius, you've seen the end of time just like I have. You've seen what happens just like I have. Now that all of this is branching out, you're right. I think Miss Minutes is the only person who can see possibly where this is going, what somebody, where somebody else wanted this to go, and what's happening now. She could be serving four different masters, and she could be such a damn great liar that she's fulfilling all of their their plans. The perfect, mm-hmm. perfect mold, you know? So, and for all we know, maybe, you know how we have this one timeline with the Kings, right? Yeah. For all we know, there's multiple of these one timeline with the Kings. Oh. And it just so happens all at the same time that they're breaking apart. I like and that. And this is Miss Minutes traveling between these. This is just like a very on-the-spot theory just saying that, but like, I feel like she has like a higher purpose than the Kings. Whether she is Miss Minutes or she is something else disguised as this creature uh ai called miss minutes i love that concept for all we know she could be eternity she could well i love this loki conversation Mm -hmm. and to dive into what could possibly be in the future for the mcu what do you think is going to be in the future for kang the conqueror this killing when he says see you soon when do you when he sees them soon what do you think he's going to do? I think the see you soon is not just him as one, 
but as him as many because you said that well they said that they were working like together as like friends until the war kind of started breaking out i'm assuming some of them even though they are conquerors also still made friends with each other kind of thing so with these being able to come back out into the timeline we're going to start seeing more and more come together and as the avengers try to stop them kind of thing or avengers what whoever the avengers is now okay because the that phase the, that phase of Avengers is pretty much going out now you know it's going to be the new generation of heroes exactly uh the new generation is going to have to figure out how to like pinpoint which king thank you king which king is like the mastermind because even if they like band together there's going to be a mastermind okay there's always always a mastermind in the shadows well that's going to be there, king the conqueror yeah okay and that's going to be like the top dog king the Danky King. Danky like King. Said. Okay. And they're probably going to have to fight a bunch of these different Kangs between different movies before we finally figure out, hey, this is like where the mastermind is. Kind of like Thanos. Like we're fighting these little battles here until we're finally at the big battle. Oh, I love that. Well, how I'm, yes, how I'm thinking is Spider-Man, all those branches that we saw at the end of, uh, Loki, when she mm. stabs him and we watch the timeline branch off at the TVA, we can safely assume that each one of the ends of those timelines are different MCU movies until that final timeline, that final branch out is where we're probably going to battle Kang the Conqueror. So Doctor mm. Strange is going to have to pull all the branching back into the sacred timeline, which is probably not going to be so cleanly done. He's probably going no. to be borrowing actors that get ushered in from these branches at the ends of every movie. I think Doctor Strange is going to appear at the end of every MCU movie for the next eight years, which might be hard on Benedict Cumberbatch's wallet or the Disney's. I don't, I think they have money for Benedict Cumberbatch all day. I feel like he can do it too. But he's going to have to show up how Iron Man showed up at the end of Incredible Hulk to re to talk to General Thunderbolt Ross, how we see General Thunderbolt Ross, even in Black Widow this year, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is going to have to show up at the end of Ant-Man Quantumania. I think he's going to have to show up. I don't think he can show up at the end of the Eternals, but possibly the Eternals warning him of what's about to happen, considering they can't mm -hmm. interact with humanity's course. So they'll probably have to find the one, I would say the one survivor of Endgame that has seen them fail. Because he's seen 14 million universes. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to say he didn't see Kang in any of these universes or something that led to the prediction of it. Well, was he really looking for Kang at the time, though? Because he was looking for the right solution to be defeat Thanos. That was his goal when he was searching through time and like realities. Okay. So if you're not looking in the shadows, you're not looking for something. He wasn't looking for Dormammu. So I agree with that. He found Dormammu in the shadows after being aware of the magic. Mm -hmm. And now he's aware of the first one. Now he's aware of time though. Now he's mm -hmm. seen time a reversed. He's seen the, the visions of the future I'm just thinking it would be hard for Doctor Strange and his studying of the Eye of Agamotto to not come across Kang in some sort of scripture or he who remains or Immortus or the Eternals. No, he'll definitely like return. I feel like he's not going to be like the new Iron Man or Captain America, like leaders of the group, but he's definitely going to be a big part in keeping it together. I think as the Young Avengers get introduced, uh, I think they're coming into 
yes, their own shoes and their kids and their very their stories are very grounded. When you look at Patriot, he's a kid in what Brooklyn. Um, when you look at Spider Man, he's still operating in New York and Queens. You look at Wiccan and Speed, and they don't even have a concept of outside New Jersey. They were stuck in WandaVision in that one cul-de-sac, you know? And Black Widow, Florence Pugh, is as far as the Black Widow program goes. She's never been to space. She's never met Rocket Raccoon. All of the young Avengers have an idea that's very concealed. So when they meet somebody that's going to be like Doctor Strange, it's going to lead to such a childlike wonder and an amazement that I think is going to reignite our idea into the mcu cosmos mythology Mm -hmm. i think what could have been powerful for iron man to meet the eternals will be more powerful when iron heart meets the eternals yeah no it's definitely gonna be meaningful having this new generation with a like experienced leader but like experience it on their own kind of thing i feel like there's gonna be like vastly like separation between the generation gap of how i want to be a hero versus how you were a hero in your time there's gonna be definitely a generation gap between you're, we're going to be putting like a t- like a date on these older heroes, you know. <laughs> we're going to see eighty-eight-year-old Captain America on your left. <laughs> on your left. No, um, I'm like okay. I'm a huge fr- fan of the t- uh, Tom Holland. Holland. Okay, Holland. Yeah, I'm a very big fan of Tom Holland because that was my generation of Spider-Man. I I was oh one. So I, this is my, my Spider-Man because the other ones were coming out as I was aging up more than me remembering who it is. So I really like Tom Holland as the Spider-Man and I can't wait to see how his character is going to be with the Avengers because he wants to be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but that's not going to be an option anymore if he has to partake in the Avengers. And I think he made that peace with himself. I think he made his peace with his duty in Far From Home. Because you're right, he didn't want to be Tony Stark. He didn't want to be a hero that was outside of New York. And Mm -hmm. when it came time to fight in a different country against forces unknown, hopelessly, he answered the call of not just one Avenger. He answered it for all of them. He held a hammer and a shield and flew to the sky. He was embodying everything he had seen up until that moment. But no, Loki final loki episode just final like synapses of what i enjoyed out of it i enjoyed it i did went slow i feel like it was not really like it felt impactful for our final episode but there was so much missing so i'm excited for the next season well andrew it's been wonderful having you on the fatal foils uh please come back and talk about anything and everything Give me a heads up next time so I can do a little bit of research on what I might possibly be talking about so that I don't like stutter over X-Men and, <laughs> Fanta- and Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four and uh, the Dark Avengers, the and Secret who, Avengers. And who Kang actually is. And- the Thunderbolts. Yeah. Give, give me a little bit more than a uh, 10 minutes. <laughs> we are hot and current, and we thank you guys. I've got so much space brain. I'm going to have to have Captain Marvel bring me back from space before Thanos' arrival. But we're out of here. This has been Slayer of the World, and we'll catch you next week. Slayer. See ya. See ya.